Controversy creates cash and even more combat sport action. We talk big wins for Blahovic, Nunez and yes, Sterling before Bammer and Bellator host Andy Shepard gives us the lowdown on Leon Edwards. That's today on the Southpaw Social Podcast. The thing that struck me first about Saturday's pay-per-view was the lovely jacket that Bruce was wearing. Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner. <laughs> Bruce Buffer. I mean, he was, it was a green it was jacket. A green it was jacket, a green jacket. It? Maybe he was actually nodding to the Incredible Hulk, but it was actually uh, an homage to St. Patrick's Day coming up next week. Yeah. Hey, let's say that there is a St. Patrick's Day last man standing uh, drinking contest between everyone in the UFC. Yeah. Who is the last man standing? Bam Bam tied to a Vassler he's shooing every pint oh yeah that was the guy you brought up last time everyone's that's, that's gobbing into his beer and he's necking that's that that's yeah the Aussies and the New Zealanders will do yeah. that hey, Volkanovski Volkanovski uh, Izzy of course is, is from I, New Zealand I, I think Izzy's a lightweight I don't think he can actually be I don't think he's drunk very much because I imagine he fights all the time he's been fighting for ages Yeah. I don't reckon he's had time to be on the piss did you see that Simpsons episode where um, the mafia come to the Simpsons house and there's like a big mafia fight and Homer spots this one in the corner that's not doing anything he's like Marge Marge watch him he's he's going to do something cool in a second that would be Figueroa nah I, that would be Figueroa he would definitely he would be so he's such an enigma he's so unsuspecting he would definitely be the last man standing maybe Blachowicz oh Blachowicz that's a great shout yeah you know the Polish and their vodka Polish and, and the Czechs there. love their love their alcohol they yeah. love the sesh Nunes if she wasn't on mum's duty I think would give a lot of the fighters a good run yeah Nunes on the beer Paolo Costa would bring his <laughs> crates of red wine his crates of rosé <laughs> I think I think we're planning a pretty cool St. Patrick's Day that's a, party that's right a here. party right there yeah I mean game. if someone wants to send us an invite to our own party that we're planning then uh, we'd be more than welcome anyway welcome to the Southport Social Podcast. My name is Tom Scarborough and I'm joined as always by my good friend and UFC maestro Dom Sumter. Dom, how are you feeling especially after Saturday's pay-per-view? A lot to get off your chest I can imagine. You know it was a great watch, great pay-per-view. It was like nine hours solid. Yeah, a long watch for you huh? Uh, yeah, from like 10 till, 10 till 6. We can make that clear, 10pm till 6am the yeah. following morning. Yeah, it was loads of fights to talk about. Absolutely, so we should probably just you know crack on with it. We've got, a, it was 15 fights, UFC 259 this past Saturday. Night. I didn't actually watch the prelims, but is there anything that you picked up on and anything you're going to take us through? Yeah, so there's quite a few fights. A lot of them, a lot of them caught my eye. Um, started the whole card, the early prelims, with quite a few knockouts. A couple that stood out for me, uh, you had Medich, I think that's how you pronounce his name, B. Cruz. That was a really, really good fight. Two guys coming from the Contender Series. A bit controversial, and not for, not for sort of, um, not for the right reasons. It, it, you know, gained a lot of notoriety because of a really late stoppage. I think it was Mark Smith was the ref, and it was it was about a 90-second too late stoppage. What was happening? Was was he just out of it already? Oh, or? he just couldn't, you know, not defending himself. For, for a good minute and a half, you said? At least, yeah. You really kind of was like, the guy was kind of moving, but it was tough What Can you explain maybe what the referee's thoughts were like why on earth he didn't stop well it I think you know you have to kind of it's all kind of what you can see they have a lot closer view of and, and angles and what we have on the TV and when you're that close if the eyes have rolled back or if there's been a knockout and the you know you, you can give the command and you see it quite a lot where they'll say if there's ground and pound you know you fight back or show me something is, some, uh, is what Herb likes to say as well Yeah. and every time he said that the guy kind of moved a bit to kind of escape and kind of you know it wasn't I don't I don't think there was enough there for it to be a continuation on the fight it should have been stopped very quickly um, it was finished stopped in the end and Medic gets a win gonna you know moving forward looks like a good talent really good on the feet so yeah there was that guy was talking about Kennedy Nechukwu I talked about last 
last week fighting yeah. Carlos Olberg. You were very excited to see him. Yeah, I really like the Chukwu. I think you know Kennedy's a really good fighter, and Olberg's from uh, City Kickboxing, which is where Kaikara France and Dan Hooker and Adesanya are from. Be interesting to see how you know that sort of played out because he was an undefeated fighter. I think he'd only had four, four or five fights, but he was undefeated. The main thing I took away from that fight is uh, they both need to work on their cardio. They both looked gassed after the first round. I think if you're going to be a volume striker as Olberg is trying to be, you've got to have better cardio for that. As a trick, we just looked like he came in just in poor shape, just looked tired from the get off, was re- looked really slow. Like you could tell there was a speed difference straight away, but he just sort of stood in there, just waited for him to tire, took a load of hits, and landed a right hook and knocked him out. A big win for the guy who goes to wait on one. In the normal prelims, yeah, there was so much going there was on. So uh, much uh, going on. Tim Elliott fighting Espinosa, he just destroyed him on the ground. That was just a pure domination. And although he didn't get the finish, he got a really big win for himself to move back up the rankings. You had Kai Kara France, who, as I said earlier, you know, from City Kickboxing. They really got exposed this pay per view. They really showed a lot of holes in their camp. The gym itself, rather the than gym, individual fighters? Yeah, because you, you saw all three fighters had glaring holes in their game. And for Kara France and Izzy, their ground game is so poor and it doesn't feel like there's any development there. You know, Kara France got taken down when he finally got up to his feet. He won with a filthy knockout and that was where the controversial Herb Dean one was where he thought he'd got a walk away. I thought it was a walk away knockout. The guy completely caved and his body just looked like it collapsed and went completely limp and then Herb stepped in and was like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, so I saw this, I saw that video going around a lot on, on social media and was it simply a case that maybe Herb also himself thought it was a walk-off knockout and that's why he didn't intercept quicker? No, that wasn't a Herb Dean issue. That was a Cara France issue. Okay. As bad as it sounds, you know, see on social media whenever there's a big knockout, why do they hit the guy when he's on the ground? You play till the referee tells you stop fighting. Mm. You go till the referee says stop. Herb Dean didn't say stop. Cara France should have kept hitting him. Whether you think that's fair or professional or respectful, whatever, that's the rules. You won't get shown the same courtesy from another fighter. No, Cara France said it was done and then Herb went over, had a look and was like, no, it looks all right. And then he saw his eyes because he was kind of slumped onto his front. He went, no, that's over and stopped the fight. Yeah, and kind of it would almost become a running theme throughout this pay-per-view, controversial yeah. stoppages where where opponent can't defend themselves what else on the prelims took your eye Askar Askarov so he's a Russian in the flyweight division he's going to be some serious trouble for Figueredo I think Mm -hmm. Samba world champion really 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 good on the ground that's looking like it's going to be the next thing to kind of dominate the UFC he just destroyed Benavides and made him look very silly Askar Askarov puts himself in line with that win a dominant win for a title shot so he's deaf Askar Askarov yes I saw this was very interesting 30-40% hearing he's won gold in like the Paralympics yeah Khabib tweeted this guy as a Paralympic champion yeah and a lot of people took that the wrong way without realising the guy's backstory yeah so but I think it's funny that he can hear what the refs are saying but Peter Yan can't (laughs) and Peter Yan has full hearing and we'll uh, we'll we'll definitely come on to Peter Yan a little bit later yeah I'll just have one more fight from the prelims I'm not going to talk about the Dominic Cruz fight because I mean it was a decent fight but you know my boy Song Yodong unfortunately he lost he lost to uh, Phillips and it just looked like Yodong was just too slow just wasn't really he wasn't throwing enough feints he was just looking for the one punch knockout and I think that's something he really needs to work on and Dong's still pretty young as well right? 23 years old man. yeah such a young guy he's so got, still got years he's got ahead so of much time I hope to see him fighting soon and keep him more active I think that's sort of always key as well <laughs>
Well, that brings us on to the main card then. And kicking off the main show was Thiago Santos taking on Alexander Rakic in the light heavyweight division. We had the second ranked fire against the fourth ranked fire in the division. Uh, this was a poor fight. This was a very boring fight. Dana said it best. When you, you kind of put these big guys together or you kind of put these guys who are known as really good strikers, it either goes one or two ways, really. You either get an absolute bloodbath and, you know, really or a really, really good fight or it goes the other way and it's kind of a slower paced, not a lot of uh, engaging, and just kind of trying to feel each other out and wait for that one opportunity that may or may not come. So I think that's kind of what we got. I thought Santos looked really slow. Coming off that two knee constructions, I think reconstructions I think he's had, couldn't slip in and out like he used to. Wasn't throwing enough combos. Just thought he looked poor. And I think for Bratic, as controversial as it sounds, I know this is what Dana likes to do. If someone doesn't put on a really good performance, they don't get the title shot next. I feel like he's going to have to have one more fight to get a title shot. Well, this is it. It it seemed to be a disappointing across the consensus of the commentary team. Cormier mentioned during round two that someone's going to have to bring the energy to win this fight. And Rogan described it as a cautious performance. He then went on to say it was a disappointingly uneventful fight. One thing that struck me as strange was after Ratic won by unanimous decision and uh, secured back-to-back wins, he was presented with a jiu-jitsu belt a brown jiu-jitsu belt yep. there was a big celebration of that that struck me as kind of strange considering there was hardly any grappling in there this fight there was no jiu-jitsu in that yeah. fight it's not necessarily awarded for something that happens in the fight it can be what you did in camp it can be awarded then or whenever he may have already received the brown belt and then that's him receiving it just to kind of reward. Oh, he's got a brown belt it has happened before I just, I, it was a bit strange him getting it even though there was no ground action that whole fight anyway Ratic moves on probably having another fight before he challenges Blahovic or whoever's the light heavyweight champion he did have a pretty stern conversation with Dana afterwards and also I want to give a shout out to you mentioned it on the last podcast Thiago Santos his big old hammer tattoo uh, that is really an, a thing did you understand what I mean oh it was it's horrific yeah. it's it's just so blunt yeah if, if that makes sense yeah. you know there's no kind of it doesn't feel like it's, it, it, I need to see more detail yeah there's no it. like art about it it's just kind of almost like a blunt yeah uh, opaque rectangle across his chest with a with a handle coming off it yeah. anyway moving on next fight slightly more intriguing slightly more interesting it was Islam Makachev the 14th ranked lightweight taking on America's Drew Dober first thing that struck me about this one it was great to see Khabib in Makachev's corner yeah. Uh, and also Drew Dober has a horribly cocky smile yeah Drew Dober just has the kind of face you want to you want to punch and boy well he, he kind of got punched huh it was really not a knock on Drew Dober I think it just shows how good Makachev is I mean the camp he's in you know aka has some of the best wrestlers in the UFC and in mixed martial arts in general you know you're training with Khabib every day you're training with DC you're training with Kane you're training with Luke Rockhold you're training with all these um, champs former champs people regarded as some of the greatest wrestlers greatest fighters of all time you kind of you pick up stuff and you know he's a Sambo champion again explain to us what what this what the Sambo fighting style is so Sambo's like it's just kind of really aggressive wrestling it's more about dominant position and more striking involved it's it, it's aggressive wrestling you can really tell who a Sambo fighter is and it's it seems to be the in thing you know you look at these guys your Makachevs and your Khabibs obviously and uh, Shemaev and Askarov now climbing up the rankings this, these guys are a scary opponents and they're wiping through these guys there they made Drew Dober look like a you know a kid someone who didn't deserve to be in there it was pure domination yeah, by Makachev it was, it was easy takedown after easy takedown um, and then eventually in the third round he kind of took another takedown and, and transitioned it seemingly out of nowhere into this beautiful arm triangle which Dober had to tap out yeah Makachev afterwards he said he wanted to fight Tony Ferguson yeah That'd that, be that would be a fight. huge fight and, yeah. and Cormier said he's only ranked 14th right now because of his inactivity he's got this 19-1 record now you 
you know, surely a guy like Ferguson might be next. There's some good fights, and do you know what? He he matches up so well against everyone in that division. On his day, he could probably beat everyone. He's got yeah. Well, he's he's got the seven uh, win streak now, which is the second longest in the lightweight division. Only one behind Charles Oliveira on eight. Yep. All right. So the first of our three title matches on the card. Mm-hmm. The first one, the bantamweight championship. No mercy, Petty and the champion taking on the number one ranked funk master Aljamain Sterling yeah shall I take us through this one briefly before I, I let you loose on this microphone yeah, go for it man alright so it was Jan's first defence and Sterling said throughout that he only needed one good takedown to win um, on paper it was the closest fight two guys that were convinced they were going to knock out the other as Petty Jan came to the ring Cormier said he is a mean little dude and well what transpired maybe not mean maybe a bit silly but both guys were raring to go at the first start of round one DC and Rogan they were like giddy little kids at the start and do you know what I was too I think the anticipation for this fight was so high Dom yeah it really was and I, I bet you were absolutely buzzing at the start of it as well I was and you know I was at that point hadn't been become completely fatigued by watching fighting for seven <laughs> hours this was the fight I was looking forward to the whole night the first couple of minutes of that round and he was really bringing the pressure you were going okay this looks like it could be an interesting affair yeah so there was some mega fast footwork at the, at the start of round one and Sterling did come out the more aggressive um, trying to throw his couple of big knees Jan had to catch some kicks throwing Sterling to the floor there was a second flying knee that caught Jan yeah Aljo got a takedown yeah exactly and he got that takedown success on his first attempt and you yeah. thought hey this is where Sterling wanted the fight but Jan managed to work out of it and, and got control against the cage. It was so quick, I could barely keep up with this first round. There was just so yeah, much tension Jan got just a so much going as on. Well. Yeah. And then the second round, you know, Sterling, it was kind of more of the same. Sterling was winning, won that round, I think, quite comfortably. Yeah, but Cormier did mention that Sterling kind of had this nervous energy about him yeah. and he was falling around a bit and, and he was. And was this his first title fight? Yes, it was. Yeah, so, you, he, so you're going to have that nervous energy, right? He, there's such a thing as over preparing. And I think he said he'd had two full camps to prep for Jan. I think he was over preparation he looked too tired he didn't have look like the Aljamain that could bring that pressure he looked really tired after one and a half rounds mm. and that's not an Aljamain Sterling I've really ever seen before I just think I think just the moment got to him and he got to he was too nervous he was over prepping yeah he said it himself he went back to his corner at the end of round two and, and said to his corner men why am I so nervous yeah. he, he said that completely bluntly which is something I've never I've never myself seen a fighter admit something like that in, in the middle yeah. of a fight you know and what it led to it led to sloppiness and mistakes and it, it was in the third round it kind of it completely the tone of the fight completely shifted and Absolutely. he was getting slower and he was making all these mistakes he was giving up his back all the time he was yeah. getting taken down he was slowing right down there was an accidental low blow where he caught him ever so slightly yeah and he just but he just looked like he didn't deserve the title shot then it was like a tale of two rounds yeah like literally it flipped round two and three it like completely flipped and you went what is this guy doing like yeah. he doesn't it looked like just he was just swinging wildly and you can't do that against Peter Yan yeah you credit know. to Yan who who made a stunning kind of tripping takedown twice in round three which yeah. Cormier described as a WWE choke slam and then Dom we got to round four yeah it started off <laughs> more speedy strikes Small speedy grapples, but Sterling looked so unconfident at this point. And tired. And tired. And there came a point where Sterling had two knees on the floor. Yep. His hands were down. Well, they were holding Petty Yan's wrists. Yep. And the referee said to Yan, he's a down fighter. This is where everything kind of gets blurry for a whole load of people. There's some miscommunication. Someone in Petty Yan's corner 
Allegedly. Allegedly goes... Kick him now. Yeah, kick him now. And so Petty Yan illegally, probably not thinking about it, but regardless, illegally, gives Aljamain Sterling... Intentionally. Intentionally. defined. A knee to the temple of, of Aljamain Sterling, which immediately stops the fight. Whenever there's an illegal strike, whether it's a low blow or an eye poke, the fight gets stopped for the fighter. It happened a few times in earlier fights where there was a couple of low blows. The ref stops the fight sent the guy to each corner you can't talk to that's the big thing you can't the coaches can't talk to you and then you can compose yourself you get i think you get as i think it's five five minutes, minutes yeah and then continue the fight yeah. but here's the thing so normally as you know a lot of people are saying oh Aljamain was acting blah, blah 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 but the way he was out cold like there was a difference between a referee stopping pausing the fight for a low blow and a referee pausing the fight for what happened yeah, he was he 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 didn't know where he was. He taking a knee to the taking like a flying knee attempt and kind of just taking it hurts enough because you can't ever really block a high kick or a knee because even if you put your hand there, you're still going to get that force against your head or your the hand pushing into your head. Then you do it on the ground where you can't defend yourself, and then you do it after two rounds, four rounds, whatever of getting kicked in the face or punched in the face, and then you do it while tired. All of those things weigh into it, and I think, you know, Aljo knew he wasn't winning the fight. He did the smart option, not in quitting, in protecting himself. Like, there's too much put onto fighters going out, warriors. No, you've got to protect yourself. You look at people like Mark Hunt, who's suffering from brain damage, Justin Gaethje, whose speech is all slurring and at 30 years of age, taking all of these hits. And these guys, you know, they're human beings. You don't want to see them getting messed up like that. Look at Ali at the end of his like life, where he couldn't even stand, he couldn't walk because he had horrible Parkinson's disease from brain trauma Mm. do you really want to go through that what just to then lose a belt 30 seconds later but this also ties into what we were talking about earlier and that you know fighters play to the whistle you know fights should be stopped as quick as possible the issue i have with the rule isn't you lose the belt if it's a disqualification i think that stands because knowing the rules is part of the game I don't think that, that that doesn't happen in any other sport, but because it's a combat sport, it's slightly different. I don't agree with that. The issue I have with the rule is you shouldn't give the fight. The, the decision to stop the fight should be made by the referee and the doctor. Mm-hmm. The fighter should have no say in it whatsoever because how many fighters do you know that are going to go, oh, no, I'm just going to take it and just leave? Yeah, none. All of these fighters are, are way too proud for yeah. that, do you know what I mean? And I mean, there's precedent for it. You look at Anthony Smith when he fought John Jones. John did a did an illegal knee up to the head. Anthony Smith went, no, I'm going to keep going. He was losing every second of that fight, pretty much. And he I looked, think I think in the end, the referee did overrule you know, Sterling and said, hey, no, we're, yeah. we're done here. You looked at Sterling, like, he tried to sit up a few times and he just couldn't. Hmm. And a lot of people go, oh, well, 10 seconds later, 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, whatever. I've had a concussion before. You feel like death for a few minutes. Like, you feel like death for a while, and then you kind of come back into it. I thought it was real strange that they took him straight to the post. Yeah, post they shouldn't have that. taken him to the post. Yeah. Like, it's like, you know... Jim- and that, it just stirs the pot as well, I think. Yeah, on Aljamain's side of it, why not do it? Get the pay-per-view points for the next fight. You could go from making 100 grand to 250, 300, 400, 500 grand simply for that or you get knocked out and you've got to work your way back up the rankings yeah okay so let's let's look at this from Yan's side the thing that strikes me as, as strange in all of this is how Yan was fighting with such control and calmness and, com- and composure right up until does. right up until that strike afterwards in a interview with ESPN he explained that the referee Mark Smith was talking a lot about the fighters hands and, and if they're down you can't strike so Yan said I was completely looking at his hands I didn't even take his knees into account in terms of having you know two knees on the ground that's that's a grounded fight 
fighter, right? Yeah. So that's that's what Jan's point of view. Clearly, there's some miscommunication, especially in the heat of you know in the heat of everything yeah, that's going on. But then as well. it comes down to again not understanding the rules. You can't justify it for another sport. You can't in tennis go well. I didn't know that that's out. You don't because I'm in the heat of the Wimbledon final. Mm. You can't go oh in American football I didn't know you could do that because it's I think I think he knew the rule, dude. He I knows just the rule. I just don't like, think he just for a split second he lapsed concentration and and you know he's lost his belt because of it. I think this this also shows you can't be really you can't be so reliant on your coaches because they can't see always what you can see they're not in the cage they have a weird angle on it where it's like you're at their feet so you can't really see a lot and you've got a cage in between you if your coach says and I understand you know it's your coach but you have to be able to be able to think for yourself sets a dangerous precedent for someone to be able to go well my coach just told me to do it so I did it yeah and I don't think that's I don't think it's fair on Aljamain Sterling he's getting a lot of heat for this going well you just took the easy way out I think there needs to be they're going to run it back I think more of people's frustrations come from the belt changing hands than but that's the rules than in the manner it did I, I just think that's the rules I think what you found was because it, it was on ESPN Plus and it was a really big card and it was really pushed you got a lot of people who wouldn't normally watch the sport watching the sport this, and a lot of people This, like we said this was the fight that a lot of people were tuning in for this was the fight a lot of people were most yeah. excited about and I think a lot of people are just angry and frustrated that, that we didn't have a conclusive and conclusive victory you know what yeah. I mean and I think as well unfortunate for the UFC because whenever they put on these really really big fights there's always something controversial you know when you look at the Conor and Khabib fight the biggest pay-per-view of all time and you had that controversial finish controversial ending to the the whole pay-per-view when Diaz fought Masvidal for the BMF belt what happened Dr. Stoppage Mm -hmm. you look at this one really big card yeah what happens? Oh yeah. Oh, John Jones v DC two. John Jones yeah. test for Peds. It, you the the UFC are getting these really unfortunate things when the light is shining bright on them. They seem to crumble, and it's really unfortunate because I think it's more entertaining than boxing. I think the it's going to eventually be bigger than boxing further down the line, ten, fifteen, twenty years. But it seems on these big moments, as whether it's you know out of their hands, but fighters and. I do feel, I feel, and I never thought I'd say this, I feel sorry for Dana White because he's worked his arse off this last year to put on some really, really good fights and allow us to actually watch sport for the whole year. In a time where there's been so much uncertainty and not a lot of joy in anyone's life, you've been able to watch these fights literally every week, sometimes three times in one week. And when the lights shine brightest on them, there's been loads of controversy and mishaps that is no fault of anyone's. Yeah, you've put that really eloquently, mate. Thank you, man. Back to the fighting question, though. Jan came out and apologised right afterwards on Twitter, apologised to Aljo. Then Sterling posted a photo with the belt on Twitter. You know, maybe maybe not the best thing to do or the best timing to do it this has just brought it all back to where it was before that these two have just been constantly at it for the last how far away are we we're three days since the pay-per-view yeah. now these two have just back at it back and forth on Twitter it's 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 leading to a rematch is Corey Sanagan the biggest loser out of all of this because he was in line for the next title shot and now he's going to have to wait a little bit longer I don't think so because I think he'll get like a TJ Dillashaw fight which you know whether he wins it or not is neither here nor there really because he's going to get a big payday on a big pay-per-view but Cejudo's talking about coming back as well yeah another guy that was piping up was former bantamweight champion Henry Cejudo triple champ Triple C Henry Cejudo is 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 he coming back for Sterling now? He's coming back for whoever. <laughs> he, he always he always seems to pop up at the most convenient times. Yeah. Huh? Do we get the Sterling and Yam rematch this summer, or do we have to wait yeah. a little bit longer? Yeah, I think so. I know they like to do an international fight week in July. I think it'll be July. We will see. Second title match of the night was the women's featherweight championship. Amanda Nunes defending her title against Megan Anderson. Yeah, where did we start with this? You know, what was, did I say last was, week? Yeah, it was exactly she what we said. Win. Not saying she didn't have reason, but she had no. It 
was like she had no reason. Yeah, she barely she barely broke sweat, you know. In round one, it was a cautious start, just like you said. Nunes didn't seem to be in any rush at all. Big strikes, take down, more strikes, and then a nice transition into this armbar choke combo. Mm. And that was the first round submission in two minutes and three seconds. Off to the pub with the kid. Well, and there was this lovely moment where Nunes brought her kid into the ring and she shared a hug with the kid and with, with uh, Megan Anderson as well. That was a really nice touching moment. I'll tell you what, that's when you know you're the best, when you can bring your kid in and make your kid, hey, mummy just knocked this girl out. Yeah, and then suddenly, <laughs> while we're having this touching moment, suddenly Dana appears on commentary out of nowhere yeah. and he just says, how long does Nunes want to keep defending the featherweight title for? Because no one's going to beat her for it. Yeah. Internally, a, a lot of chat about Shevchenko. Yeah, I mean, they fought twice before. The first fight wasn't really, it was just a unanimous victory. The second fight was a lot closer. That was about four years ago. You know, since then, Shevchenko's kind of become this sort of dominant force in the flyweight division. And I think if anyone's going to get close to her, you can you say it's Shevchenko. But I don't think anyone's beating Nunes. She's beating everyone who's regarded as the best. Yeah. She's, she said in a post-fight interview that the fight went exactly to plan and she's going to retire as a double champion. Eventually. Which which she didn't say she didn't say she's going to retire now yeah. or in a few months or next mm. year or 20 years. I believe her. And I don't think there's anyone who can disagree with that. Here's a stat for you to put it in perspective. Amanda Nunez's 12 fight win streak is now longer than Ronda Rousey's entire mixed martial arts career. I don't think as well talking about Nunes I don't think there's a featherweight maybe Max oh so you're talking male or female yeah like just because of his height I don't think there's a featherweight or a bantamweight she doesn't lose to so then we come to the main event of the evening Jan Blachowicz defending his light heavyweight title for the first time against middleweight champion of the world Israel Adesanya yes and what a yeah okay so here's where we start (laughs) Izzy didn't have to take this fight. He wanted his fight. And he said he wanted to show off at light heavyweight because there's no one left at middleweight to defend his title against. Yeah. Essentially, it didn't go to plan for him. But the way he came out of it with such grace was, you know, I, I completely tipped my hat to him. It's it's the hardest, I would say, the hardest weight division to go up. Yeah. It's the biggest jump, like bar heavyweight. It's a 20 pound jump. You know, it's a stone and a half. And then you've got to cut weights. It's massive. And, and he was going out there trying to become the fifth double champion in UFC history it's not easy and it got proved it's not easy someone as quality as Adesanya you know Blahovic wasn't a lot of people considered him being the champion because Jones isn't there and I think if John Jones was there Blahovic wouldn't okay. be the champion but I think he proved his worth and his skill I think a lot of it fell on Izzy looking bad for me like it wasn't like Blahovic came out and put on a masterclass I felt like there was a lot that Izzy did wrong and a lot in his preparation and exposed him that I really felt like is going to cause problems for him in the future I found Izzy wasn't active enough He's not been. He's not a power puncher. He needs to be active and striking regularly. He was throwing feints, but you got to start hitting him a lot. Blahovic was landing on him, and then Izzy would come back with just a calf kick or a jab. He, there was no combos being thrown. I think there was just too much respect on Blahovic's power. Not discrediting Blahovic, you know, he's um, not Polish power for no reason. And Izzy was just, regardless of if you if you even take out the, we'll get to the ground game in rounds four and five. If you look at rounds one to three, Izzy was not active enough. He wasn't quick enough. I felt like he just wasn't for someone who's meant to be you know this elite kickbox and I don't want to keep this I don't want to talk bad about Izzy because what he's done in three years is phenomenal yeah well full credit 
to the guy for, for stepping up and, and you know chasing yeah, chasing that. A hundred percent and fair play to Blahovic for you know doing what he did, but I felt Izzy looked poor, he looked slow, he leant too much on the front foot, he wasn't quick enough. He threw the jab a lot and it hit, but there wasn't a follow up shot, there wasn't a right hand or there wasn't a you know a left after it or a hook. It was always straight. A couple of head kicks here and there and a nice couple of question mark kicks as well and a few good leg kicks. But apart from that, you know, you're not really I wasn't seeing enough of Israel Adesanya. There wasn't, you know, this guy that had one of the fights of the year with Kelvin Glastelum, made Robert Whitaker look silly, beat Yael Romero, destroyed Paolo Costa. Didn't see those things from him and I think he needs to... Have, I, I, I just think their game plan was wrong. Yeah. Rogan said before the fight that it was eerily calm. Was Izzy maybe too calm? Yeah, I would say too calm. I think he... It reminded me of John Jones in the sense of he thought he was just running away with the fight and way commentators were talking it sounded like he was absolutely dominating him on the on Blahovic on the feet and he wasn't his ground game was atrocious yeah and Izzy wasn't helped when Blahovic just took charge of those last two championship rounds rounds four and five he, he landed a charging takedown and just seemed to just stay in control for the rest of the fight yeah and I think it was I think the big thing for Izzy is his speed and I think he didn't want to lose that speed by putting on too much weight and people forget Blahovic weighed in at 205 he he probably on fight night was 225 Izzy was 201 yeah there's a that's a stone weight difference if you're going to move up to middleweight uh, from middleweight to heavy, uh, light heavyweight you've got to do it over a year of strength and conditioning you know you look at all the guys who have come up from middleweight recently that have been champions your Chris Weidmans your Luke Rockholds Jacare Souza's they've all been knocked out yeah. and I think it's the hardest weight division to move up into and it really showed because Izzy's meant to be one of the, Izzy is one of the best fighters in the company yeah so he picks up his first loss in MMA in his first chance at, at light heavyweight yeah. does that loss now scrap any chance of a of an Adesanya John Jones super yeah, fight in the future it's done the thing is Jones is he's not old but he's not young and I think if Izzy wants to do this Izzy would have had to win and then he'd have had to put on 30 more pounds. And he would have to do that over 18 months. I think the window is too short if he wants to do it properly for him to go up and fight John Jones. I don't even think, based off that, it would be a good fight. I think Jones would just take him down. I think Jones could probably do it, if not in the first round, in the second. Well, on the other side of the octagon, fantastic victory for Jan Blahovic, who retained his light heavyweight title after five rounds by unanimous decision. Did you hear the story about Blahovic and his hangman rope? No. So, story goes, Blahovic, this was way back when he was on his losing streak in the UFC. Yeah. Blahovic is in Poland, he's out walking his dog. This is a true story. He's out walking his dog in a forest in Poland. And sadly, he comes across a guy that had hung himself in a tree. Now, Polish folklore says that if you touch a hangman's rope, then it will bring you good luck. So, Blahovic goes back a few days once, once the guy's been, you know, the body's been removed and whatever. And he touches this hangman's rope. And he does this three times and he wins his next three UFC fights in a row. Eventually, he goes back to this hangman's rope and he cuts the piece down. He gets a friend of his to fashion it into a bracelet. Um, so he's now got it always with him. And it's, you know, it's brought him nothing but good luck. Blahovic has a conversation with Dana in the octagon afterwards. He says he wants Glover next. He says he deserves it. Yeah, he does. And Glover Teixeira is about 7,000 years old at this point. Um, well, he's, he's, I think he's 41. That's what I said. <laughs> um, but, you know, the last time he fought for the title, he fought prime John Jones, young John Jones. No one was beating that kid. So, yeah, I'm happy for Teixeira. He deserves it. He deserves uh, another shot of the belt. I'd be happy to see him win. It'd be a good fight. A lovely moment between 
between Blahovic and, and Izzy in the cage after the official announcement where there was a little mix up Izzy said to Jan you had me like a butter guard and uh, Blahovic thought he said bodyguard oh so Blahovic goes oh how much do you pay I'll be your bodyguard and, yeah. and Izzy's like I don't need you to be my bodyguard and they had a nice nice little laugh Izzy said it was the best of bad day at the office for him he dared to be great and he put it all on the line and he says he'll definitely be back at light heavyweight whether he does or not we will see but for now he'll be back defending the middleweight championship Saturday night, we've got Brit Leon Edwards in a fight night against Bilal Mohammed. Don, what is your prediction for this? Uh, I think we're going to go with Leon Edwards. I think it'll be a closer fight than a lot of people think it will be. Mohammed's no joke. He tweeted earlier saying, I'm here to win. I think I could be a champion. And then he also said, I'm here to eat. A big factor going into this will obviously be Leon Edwards and his ring rust. He hasn't fought in ages. So yeah, I think it'll be good. Interesting. Well, I'm very excited to say that on an exclusive for the Southpaw Social, I caught up with Bellator and Bama broadcast host Andy Shepard earlier today to give us some more insight for Leon Edwards. So Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the Southpaw Social Podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's great to be able to speak to you in this kind of capacity. Absolutely. How's how's lockdown for you been overall? Do you know, I feel very fortunate. It's it's affected so many people in so many different ways. I've been fortunate enough that I've had, you know, stuff to keep me occupied. I think at this point of the lockdown, though, we're coming, we hope, to the back end of it. But at this point, I haven't seen my parents in quite a few months. I think throughout the last kind of part of the lockdown, we could see them every few months and stuff like that. It's getting to the point now where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm ready for this to be over. But I think now there's light at the end of the tunnel for hopefully all of us. It's almost like, you know, you're getting close to Christmas and he's just like, oh, come on, hurry up, make it could be Christmas. It's it's that kind of feeling now. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's when you're starting to, you know, the advent calendar is, is opening very slowly. Yeah, I'm sure everyone's the same. Everyone's WhatsApp kicking off with, you know, the, just about you know, what's going to happen in April, what's going to happen in May, what's going to happen in June, all these things. So everyone's getting excited. But yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to see my family and, um, and hopefully travel again. Yeah, absolutely. So into business, what did you think of Saturday night's pay-per-view? So I'll be honest with you, I've only caught up on the main event. I've seen the result. I need to go back to the rest of the car. But I watched the main event with some intrigue. Everyone's talked about Adesanya, and I'm a huge, huge fan of his. I think he is a superstar. I think he's a great ambassador. I think in terms of business, he has got money written all over him. And there's been all this talk about him obviously moving to, to light heavy and to, to heavy. And I just think he you know, stepped in straight away up to light heavy against the champion, against Yan. And you know, I think a lot of people underestimated Yan, but he's, you know, he's, he's, a, he's an adaptable fighter. And I think it really showed in that fight. I mean, look, Izzy weighed in, was it 201 pounds? I think he was the lightest ever um, light heavyweight contender in a championship fight and that shows where he's walking I mean, he's walking at 200 pounds he didn't want to put any weight because he didn't want to impede his speed or his conditioning which i think is smart but then as soon as yan figured out where he's got to take him he's got to take him down to the ground and then just smother him and do his work on the ground and say what you like you know i think izzy is a great great ambassador for this sport and i think if, if handled properly is you know one of the biggest stars this sport ever seen but you know and if yan can get him to the floor and smother him like that i think Izzy has to make some huge adjustments if he wants to continue looking at those bigger weights. If he keeps in his own weight, you know, the middleweight, then wow. I mean, I think we're talking about fireworks each and every time. So looking ahead to this weekend, you've got Leon Edwards fighting for the first time in nearly two years. Now you're part of the broadcast team at Bama. The British Association of Mixed Martial Arts. I don't think anyone's called it that since Bama won. That, that's what it was called. Were you part of kind of Leon's early fights when he was fighting in the Bama promotion? No, so so I, actually, I actually did some stuff with Bama in the very early days. I think it was like Bama 3 or something. So Leon would have been around those times. But our time at Bama kind of intersected 
sector. So I think he left Bama 16, I believe. And I joined in Bama 18. But I was around, and of course, his brother Fabian um, was a, a big staple of Bama. So I know the family, and I, you know, I've worked with the UFC for quite a long time as well. So I've spent a lot of time, I've made documentaries with Leon, um, with his brother as well. So I spent a lot of time around those guys. But no, I never got, I haven't yet got to host one of his fights. In, in kind of a non-fighting capacity then, what were your first impressions of Leon as a person? He's, he's quite quiet. You know, he's a first, and this is what surprises me about some of these, you know, top flight contenders, how, you know, quiet and, and reserved they are. Very nice guy, very intelligent guy, very close with his family. And I, I think that could be one of the reasons why he perhaps hasn't had the opportunities that a lot of people, including myself, believes he should have. He doesn't make a lot of noise or hasn't done in the past. So it's very easy for him to go in there, to have a fantastic performance. But unlike some other fighters, he, he, he hasn't been making a lot of noise at press conferences at post-fight events. So it's very easy to go, okay, cool, Leon's good, but this guy's making a noise. This guy's making all this, the social media. I think he's starting to change that. I think he's realised that, hey, if you've, if you've got to play those games, I'm going to play those games. And I think a lot of the fans are now wise to him. There's only so long you can have the kind of performances he's had and not be put you know, in, in big, big fights. Um, fans are seeing where he should be. And I think the noise is being made. And look, we're all hopeful that he's going to get the, the title opportunity he wants. Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of people forget that he's now been in the UFC for, uh, I think it's about seven years now. He had two losses in his first four fights, but at present he's on this eight fight win streak. Do you think changing up how he approaches fights has helped that was fight streak? I don't think it's helped the fight streak because I think, again, Leon is a very, very disciplined character. So I think in terms of what happens inside the cage, he's going to be, you know, he's going to put on the performance he's going to have. I think it's in terms of, again, making noise outside of the cage. Yeah. Um, I mean, you look, look at his record. Look who he's defeated recently. You've got Donald Cerrone. Anyone who's ever passed an eye of a mixed martial arts knows that name. You've got Gunnar Nelson. You've got Rafael de Andros. You know, you've got all those kind of, these, these, are, these are big names. These are big, big wins. So his record should speak for itself. But yeah, look, I think the I think the whole stuff that um, happened with Masvidal back in London a couple of years ago that helped light some fire. So yeah, look, I'm not working behind the scenes of the UFC booking these matches, but it, it does seem like not I mean not a lot of people want to fight him. People are turning down these fights. It would seem. And this is this is also his first you know fight in almost two years in the UFC. You talk about his his discipline. How do you think he's kept kind of mentally tough during this long bout of inactivity? Look, I know he's been training. I when did I see Leon last? I saw him last. I was hosting some Bellator shows in September and I saw him there and you know then he was you know I think he's had a fight cancelled god knows how many times now I think he was supposed to fight Woodley at the start of 2020 so he's booked to fight Woodley in March 2020 uh, and then Kamza in in December and, and that was cancelled a few times yeah. so that must play a part as well how in, in kind of keeping that discipline yeah I, I mean like I suppose he's ready and I think a lot of these guys especially at the experience level that, that Leon has fight ready is good like I'm not a fighter myself I and mean, you know, a lot of people especially with look at Conor McGregor and his third comeback recently People do talk about ring rust. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if there's any of that in Leon. Uh, I think the difference might be with Leon is that he's never really, it's not like he had time off. His last fight before the Woodley fight was in the summer and he had a fight uh, scheduled with Tyrone like six, seven months later, I believe. So he would have had his normal time off, his normal camp. And then you look at the cancellation dates for the Kazmat fights. He's been in camp the entire time. So he's going to be in potentially the shape of his life. But you know, I think a lot of athletes will tell you stepping inside the cage or whatever your 
discipline is. Competing is different to training to a certain extent. So it'll be interesting to see if if that affects him. If that you know slight ring rust or just adapting to the situation comes up. For me, I don't think it, I think Leon's a fantastic professional fighter and he's going to be as sharp as he should be. Absolutely. And we saw some photos released. Uh, I think it was either this morning or yesterday. Yeah. And he looks, he looks absolutely jacked. shredded, huh? Do you think training kind of like a double, triple length camp is would have affected him? Maybe even positively or negatively? You'd hope positively. I think as long as he's given himself time to recover between these camps. And again, I, I haven't got the exact data of when these fights were pulled and how far before them. I think some were quite last minute and some were a bit further out. Because I think, you know, depending on how someone trains, if you're doing a lot of heavy sparring and cutting down towards a fight, you know, you're basically doing back-to-back camps or whether his camps were at a point where it's like, okay, we're mid-camp, we can reset a bit. That will depend on the stresses on his body, how much he's putting himself through. But I've, I've been to strength and conditioning sessions with the guy. I've, I've been to you know his gym with him. I've seen how he trains and he trains smart. He's got some of the best SNC coaches around. Um, so they would be taking good care of him. You would hope he's going to come in and look, from the looks of him, he looks fantastic. So you hope he's going to come in in this shape with the cardio of his life. It's, it's I think the question is, how sh- what's that sharpness going to be like? As I said earlier, you know, being in there and competing, it's different to sparring. How will that affect him, if at all? So originally he was meant to be fighting Kamzat again, but again, COVID still suffering oh, from yeah, that. Yeah. So he's come in, his opponent on Saturday, Bilal Mohammed. he's been given less than a month notice for this change of opponent. How hard would it have been for Leon to kind of adapt both mentally and, and physically? I mean, a month, it depends how... I don't know how Leon prepares in terms of specific preparation. I think any fighter is going to have, okay, this is a fighter. We know the game plan is we're going to go to the ground. We're going to go to the leg or we're going to standing up. It depends how specific he was he'd been for Kamzat. I mean, look, he's been training, training for Kamzat now for, God, over a year. A long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, his training would be quite specific for that. But again, knowing Leon, he's a confident fighter. He's confident of his ability. You know, four weeks, is that enough to harvest a game plan? Leon's not a one-dimensional fighter, far from it. So, he will have been training himself all the way around i think it's a it's a it's a question of okay let's dissect this fighter let's look at the game plan i think four weeks is is fine for that and what will they be doing this week fight week in the lead up to saturday's event in covid times i couldn't tell you but look i've been around a lot of ufc fight weeks and this week is it's a crazy week a lot of media a lot of attention again i'm not sure the media commitments are or how they work in them in this covid era but normally they get to the hotel i know leon's out in the states right now he got out there a few days ago so he'll be adapting he'll be he'll be dropping some weight down a bit he's not an awfully big guy so his weight cut shouldn't be huge but he's starting to drop down um final preparations the sessions won't be hard they'll be about just keeping things sharp um, and again about just you know sweating down some weight as the week goes and then it it's always weird and like I, i've been part of this you know i've been at ufc events making content for the ufc spending a lot of time with the fighters the week of the fight and it always surprises me how this is the biggest week of these guys careers their lives in some cases this is what they've trained for for months at this point the final few days and they've got so many commitments come to this room sign posters come to this room and do 15 zoom interviews go to this place and sit on a podium and do interviews for an hour and a half go and do this personal appearance go and do this thing it's 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 always crazy that in the final moments where ideally I'm sure these athletes would want to be just still and with their team and focus on the job at hand they have so many other commitments and look Leon top of the card he's going to have all these things but again I think Leon deserves to be there he'll relish it 
Um, so doing all these commitments, I'm sure he'll do them with a smile, knowing that you know he's he's being put in a position where he he wants to be there. But yeah, I, I can tell you, it's a manic week in the lead up to fight. And after this media week, it all comes down to the fight on Saturday. Andy, what are your predictions? Is Leon going to walk away with the win? Yes, I think he will. I think he will. I think he it's an opportunity for him to go in there and show what he's made of. He's a fighter which the fans have got behind. The fans who know about fighting and know about skill, they know what Leon's about. And I think this is a great opportunity for him to go in there and and show what he's about. I mean, you look at his opponent's record, it's it's a decent record, you know, but 18 and 3, yeah, I believe so. Um, his last loss was in 2019 against Jeff Neal. But you look at the again, you just look at the names on the records. Leon is unquestionably the higher level fighter, but the layoffs, we have to see. I mean, his opponent last had a fight in February. He's the fresher opponent you know he, he knows what it's like to be in there that's going to be the interesting thing he's coming off well i'm just looking at the records here yeah he'll fight on the 13th of february so he's stepping straight back in there he's going to be fresh this this is where i think on any other time if these guys were both coming off normal camps coming in both had three to six between fights it, it's leon should go in there and dissect him but i think the exciting part about this fight is Leon's coming off a layoff. Leon has a lot to prove because he, you know, a lot of people believe and he believes that he should be having title title matches now. There's a lot of stake in this. If, if Leon loses this, this is a big setback. Leon takes some step down the pecking order. It's going to take him a while to get back into this position. With his opponent coming off a, a nice win, full of confidence, being fresh, that's, for me, where the question comes off. Personally, I think Leon can do it, but look, this is the fighting game. Anything can happen. And when you when you look at the pros and cons of each fighter, their record, what they've gone through in the last few months, few years, it's going to be an interesting fight. We'll find out round one, I think, where we are with this one. Okay, so let's say Leon walks away with the win on Saturday. You know, what's next for him? Does he go straight for the title fight with Usman? Um, there's been murmurings of a bout with Kobe Colvington, but Kobe said, it, this isn't charity hour. I don't want to fight Leon. I think that's pretty harsh from Kobe. I mean, Leon is ranked number three. Yeah, Kobe's number one. I, I think to say fight what, one and three fighting, it's not charity hour. But yeah, Leon is number three. Gilbert Burns and Kobe Colvington are above him in the rankings. He's fighting opponents rank 13. So if number three is beating number 13, you know, does that catapult him up the rankings? you got to argue no, it doesn't, you know? So does he go straight for the title? Look, it's a fight I think I want to see, all the fans want to see. It's a fight that will will sell. But will Leon Edwards beating Kobe Covington, shutting him up? You know, we, we, know, the, we know the noise that Kobe can make. Yeah. If Leon is sure of his skill, I think a fight against Kobe, if he can do it soon, you know, get it out of the way in the summer. That's that's the kind of fight that generates the noise. That's the kind of fight that could well take Leon to the next level. Because Kobe, Kobe's gonna he wants to put you to sleep, but also the circus he brings to that fight can help elevate Leon. So look, I think Leon could well deserve a title opportunity, but I think it might not be his next fight. So let's say that Leon does get through Mohammed on Saturday and then eventually gets through um, Covington afterwards. What on earth can he do to beat Usman to win the welterweight championship? Because Usman is is just on another level right now. He is, he is. But you know, 
styles make fights, don't they? And every fighter is a developing fighter. And I'm just going through the records. And yeah, look, Leon lost to Usman back yeah. in 2015. That's six years ago, just over five years ago. Both fighters have changed and evolved. Usman is a is a machine that's just built from granite. Leon would be the underdog in that fight. But that's not to say it can't be done. Look, you know, we're all talking MMA because we love the sport. We love the sport because of unpredictability. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put Leon, I don't think Leon gets whitewashed in that fight. I think it's a competitive fight and it can go either way. Yeah, Usman would no doubt walk in there as the favourite. But Leon's a smart fighter. He's a very smart fighter. And if he can execute the game plan he wants, he can win that title. But again, Usman is as we've seen, it's such a dominating fighter. It's who can inflict their will. But, you know, Leon would have a good shot there. Absolutely. Well, Andy, we'll have our fingers crossed for Leon on Saturday. Thank you so much for your time and joining us on the Southpaw Social. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tom. Cheers, Andy. Thank you again, Andy Shepard, Bama and Bellator broadcast host for joining us on the Southpaw Social. We look forward to Leon's fight on Saturday. Yeah. Dom, just to round things up then, any news that has caught your eye this week? Yeah, some stuff to look at. A couple of fights got announced. So we've got um, Fug Rose is fighting uh, Wei Shang in UFC on UFC 261. So that'll be on the Andrade and Shevchenko card. Yeah, so two women's belts being defended on the same pay-per-view. Yeah, man. So that'll be really good. That'll be really interesting because I, I, I really like Rose. Zheng is a really, really strong fighter, a really good fighter as well. Be an interesting one. See kind of how four former champs, four current champs, four champs in general fighting on this card and see how they match up against each other. Um, you know, Andrade going up from strawweight to fight Shevchenko and then... Rose getting back trying to get back and win her title back I think that'll be a really good fight there so and kind of adds you know the spice to the to the women's divisions that, that Nunes is you kind of look at the women's division and three of the belts are kind of locked up so it's nice to have that sort of competitiveness and you know it keeps it kind of fresh and interesting so I like that and then seeing Rose fight maybe come back and win her belt love to see that she's one of my favourite fighters to watch also announced this week British featherweight Arnold Allen will be fighting on the fight night 10th of April Dom do we know much about him uh, yeah he's a really uh, you know really good up and coming fighter he's on the right side of 30 27 years of age and he's on a 7 fight win streak in the UFC beating names like uh, Nick Lentz Gilbert Melendez but yeah this guy this guy looks um, he, he looks like a decent fighter a lot of unanimous decision wins for him so it'd be nice for him to um, you know get a finish but he is fighting a very very strong fighter in Sadiq Yusuf a guy who I follow since uh, entering the UFC ranked number 10th in the featherweight rankings uh, Arnold Allen's ranked 11th and um, this will be a really good fight I really like Yusuf's game I think he'll, the way he fights brings a lot out of the other fighters a win can you know help propel one of these guys up up the featherweight rankings and maybe look at a fight a top 5 fight someone like a Calvin Cater maybe or a Josh Emmett in their next fight you know 2-3 more fights we could with wins we could see him fighting for the title and it'd be nice to have a, another Brett mixing it up with the top fighters in there what you've got. absolutely well We'll keep an eye on Leon Edwards' fight this weekend. Well, thank you again, Andy, for joining us on the podcast. Dom, thank you for joining us. Listeners, thank you. Tune in next time to the Southpaw Social Podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye, guys. <laughs> oh, we're never going to be famous. <laughs>